Hello and welcome to episode 20 of our podcast, Talking Their Language with Helen Bodell. We're discussing a really fascinating topic today, music, songs and language learning. I've always loved music and I'm a huge lover of language and literacy and how we acquire language. So for me, this is really exciting. I'd like to introduce you to Kate Hamilton. Kate, welcome to our 20th episode. We're really excited for you to discuss your research today. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, your projects and the research that you're currently undertaking? Hi Helen, lovely to meet you. Thanks for inviting me to come and talk to you. Uh, So I'm Kate Hamilton, I'm a mum, I've got three kids and before I started research I was a French and English teacher in secondary school and I also taught languages in early years um, through a company that I set up called Babel Babies and we do lots of singing um, in different languages and explore the world and help children to kind of learn how the world works and what languages are out there and we have lots and lots of fun. And like through this um, sort of language teaching background, I got really interested in like what is the effect of singing on language acquisition and language learning, because I could see as a teacher that it felt like it was really effective and everything. And I wanted to be able to advocate for doing more singing, because as we know, at primary schools, maybe music is getting a little bit squeezed out by the kind of core subjects like maths and literacy um but when I started to look into it I couldn't really find that much evidence or research papers that were easily accessible to me as a teacher so I got into research I'm at the University of Oxford now um I've done a master's there in applied linguistics and I'm now doing my PhD in education and this is what I'm researching so I'm looking at whether songs um to what extent they are effective for learning languages and just really diving into the second language research um and looking in, in my first year, I've done this big project called a systematic review, where I look at every piece of research that has been already published, where um, children are learning songs in a classroom context in either learning English as a second language or other foreign languages. And and then I kind of like do a sort of overall summary and say, what have we learned so far? So like, what's the extent and nature of that research? So, so that's where I've got to so far. And then the next part of my PhD, I'll do a classroom intervention. So working with hopefully year three students in a primary school in England. And um, I'll be like kind of carefully controlling the different variables and I'll present the groups with different inputs. So like songs or nursery rhymes or stories so I can compare the different um, the different inputs and then look at the effect of that on their acquisition of French word order. Um, So, yeah, so it's really exciting. We think possibly there's a link between prosody that's like the rhythm of the language uh, which can be made more obvious or salient in a song or nursery rhyme and we think there's a link with that um, with learning word order that we see in babies learning their first language Um, if you think about English we've got a real strong stress and unstressed pattern in English and it's usually the nouns and the verbs what we might call the important words which are sort of highlighted by those rhythm patterns and then the like less important function words like and and the they tend to be sort of a bit less salient and actually babies can really kind of hook on to those um, nouns and verbs because they are highlighted by the rhythm or the prosody and that can give them a bit of a bootstrap up to learning what those words mean because usually with a baby if you think about it the word in question is somewhere in the room so like you might be saying oh look look at the cat and then you know there actually is a cat so they you know because the rhythm because everything's kind of like converging to get the baby to pay attention to this word it can help them to learn it and we've actually got a little bit of research that shows that um, in second language context in a classroom that is a, that's working away as well um, okay. so Maybe I like bring classroom that. objects 
Yeah, so we might, you know, because um, in a classroom you haven't got, say, the necessarily got the immersion. If you're learning French in an English school, you're not surrounded by French all the time. Obviously, that's different for EAL learners who are sort of in an English speaking context. But we are trying to sort of test whether um, singing compared to nursery rhymes without a tune, compared to stories, compared to like your usual language lesson like can we work out what the differences are between those presentation methods and um does it have an effect on the sort of learning of french word order so yeah it's um going to take about two years to find out the okay. answer to my answer but that's where i'm at so far that's so exciting and kate do you do all the research yourself as in do you go into the classroom present to that class do you have to take part in all of yeah. that do you yeah, exactly. So that's what I do. So at the minute, I'm designing the experiment, um, which is okay. going to take a couple of months. It's sort of like um, you've got to really isolate the variables. So in my case, it would be songs or nursery rhymes or um, stories. And you've got to make sure that you're not kind of got other distractors in your research, like, um, you know, you've got to control for things. Because obviously children okay, they yes. will naturally learn. They'll naturally learn stuff anyway, even if you don't do anything, children are learning. So, yeah. you know, if we want if we wanted to be able to kind of single out singing as the thing that has an effect, we need to carefully control for things. So I'm designing this project and then I'll go in and hopefully a school will let me come in and do French teaching for three weeks, maybe a bit every day and then sort yeah. of gather this data. So, yeah, I'll be doing that and then analysing it um, and then writing it up and then writing it up. Yeah. Wow, it's yeah. fantastic. And two years is a long time, isn't it? But it'll be brilliant when it does come out. Um, I think it's so useful because I really, we were saying before, when we that I really enjoy, um, you know, singing and teaching through songs. So sometimes it's that as well, isn't it? The enjoyment linked with yeah, the definitely. learning have an impact. Yeah, because I mean, at the minute we know, um, so I'm a teacher, I've been a teacher for 20 years and, you know, I really enjoy teaching through songs. I know, you know, anecdotally, that you know the kids I've been teaching have enjoyed it and other teachers have told me oh we think it's really effective so like it's kind of what we might call a folk pedagogy like the teachers are passing it on to each other um, and it yes. comes down the generations like that and we've got this really strong intuition that it must be doing something because we all feel like it's doing something but what we kind of the missing piece of the jigsaw at the minute is what we call empirical evidence that has been gathered in a really carefully controlled way so that we can actually say for sure what a song does and doesn't contribute to that language learning process. But yeah, it could just be that we end up with saying, well, we know that songs are an enjoyable way to learn and that it motivates yeah. children. And that if you, actually, if you're having fun, you might want to do more learning. And if you do more learning and you spend more time on the task, then actually you do learn more. So it could just be that it's kind of contributing that way um, yeah. rather than song, songs having a particular effect on vocabulary that's different to the effect that stories might have, for example. Yeah, so and that'll all come together with your research. Yeah. Um, so where do you think songs and music sort of fit into the curriculum? Would you say that you could use it in any subject for anybody listening, thinking that they might try this? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of be quite creative with it, can't you? Because um, it's maybe part of the kind of primary curriculum, um, which we look at more formally in music lessons, but actually, could we, could we bring that into other subjects? I mean, I know I've seen teachers using songs to recap a part of a history lesson, like songs about the Vikings, for example, or the Mayans. I've heard that in primary school. Um, or you might, so that might be like content related songs. We know that there's songs yeah. um, quite quite fun to do about geography and those sort of like learning moments. 
but also it might just be you might be teaching a particular type of behavior through a song so you might want to get children to learn how to start and stop in PE lessons so when the music starts or the music stops that could be a signal for them yeah so you could you could use it in those sort of cross-curricular ways and there's loads of songs for teaching maths and I've heard um so in my master's research I interviewed teachers and they were telling me how children quite often they learn the, um, the 3D shapes or the 2D shapes through songs and actually find that effective because um, they've enjoyed it so much they might even remember the longer names for the shapes. Okay, yeah. Um, You've got your times tables, haven't you, as well? Yeah, times tables. All of my time table songs, yeah. Yeah, they're really popular as well and there's lots of different resources for that. And obviously then you've got the language element of songs and one of the uh, teachers I interviewed was saying how he finds that like the traditional primary school songbooks, they've got a really rich vocabulary in and he like really enjoyed um, using those and then building up like little class performances that the children um, enjoyed. So you can, you know, you can look at songs in a sort of different sort of slice them up in for different subjects, I think. Um, but what I particularly like about songs is they are like a complete context. So you've got your vocabulary and grammar all kind of coming together, usually in a little narrative context like if you think about something like incy wincy spider okay you're not just teaching the words spider sun rain pipe you know you're actually teaching a tiny narrative um, about a spider that gets washed out of the pipe and then the sun comes out and it dries up the rain and then the spider climbs back up again and so you know you've got this kind of little mini story but it's presented in like a really sort of rhythmically salient way maybe the melody adds a bit of a memory aid as well because we know from some research in uh, first language, so um, if you have got a tune that you know quite well, you can actually memorise a bunch of words um, because that tune kind of gives you like a dual access. So if you forget where you've got to in the words, you can hum the tune and then it will give you a bit of a, oh, a well, leg up okay. to remembering words. So that's called dual coding. So um, it works if the tune's familiar. If the tune is unfamiliar yeah. and the words are unfamiliar, you overload your working memory so that actually makes it harder to learn the words but if it's a tune that you know already like the famous example from the research is Yankee Doodle came to town and you can remember some you know really long stuff like the preamble to the American constitution um because of the tune is so familiar so basically yeah because you kind of like hum along to where you've got to uh, oh and then you can say oh right this is where I've got to in the words and it's to do with that like chunking um formulaic sort of way that our brain might remember in a little bit of a chunk and actually it will remember everything within the chunk but then gets to a gap in between and it kind of loses its place so if you can have a couple of different ways of getting back to where you know where you are um, that can that can give you a little bit of a memory trigger um yeah and then like with older children you might be able to use songs in a more reading and literacy sort of way as well that you could look at the grammar contained within the song if you were doing explicit grammar teaching um and again I think because it's in a context that's like a nice neat package um that can be like a, a rich way of exploring um and then for even older learners secondary school you might get them to bring in songs that they find appealing like different artists and tastes um, that they've got different genres and obviously you can do that with younger learners too but if the teenagers that I was teaching maybe you know they felt like they could bring a bit of their personality in if they could bring their yeah. particular type of music so I think there's loads of different ways that you could use songs across yeah, different subjects and different ages it reminds me of um when I was learning French sort of year seven they used to use 
English nursery rhymes, you know, the tune, and then for us mm-hmm. to learn in sort of the French words, and that's probably for that reason, isn't it, that if we can remember the nursery rhyme, then it'll link to that language. Yeah, so, like, if you say, like, Twinkle Twinkle's a really famous, like, nursery rhyme tune, and quite often you find that, you know, there are lyrics for French songs or, you know, um, I've got Twinkle Twinkle in several different languages at Babel Babies, but you can, um, because the tune is sort of embedded already, because you know it so well from English, it might be that then you're kind of giving your brain a little bit of a leg up to remember the words yeah. but because you kind of know the shape like you've already narrowed down how many gaps you've got to fill um yeah. so it's like you know that there's this little bit of a shape missing and it's got two syllables so that maybe narrows down what could go in that gap so that's that's another avenue that might be um how it's helping your brain to kind of produce the word to go in that slot because it yeah. delineates what size slot it is that needs to be filled so it's not just like a totally open slot that could be anything you know yeah. it's got two syllables and um so yeah so it's like doing a crossword think, almost yeah maybe <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> that's a nice metaphor yeah but that could be one of the reasons that it works as well yeah um and for language learning in particular why does it have um you know, that impact, would you say? Or you're hoping that the research might show you the impact? What's the specific so, link with language learning? Uh, well, I mean, there's lots of literature looking at the similarities between the way our brain processes music and the way our brain processes language. And it seems intuitive, doesn't it, that music and language kind of go together. There's like loads of, yes. you know, inter- loads of interesting research across different types of research fields. So cognitive sciences, psychology like um, emotional sort of affective reasons why we might have a positive a positive link made between music and language Um, it could be that we've got similar neural networks working in in similar ways between music and language but you know kind of just because it might sort of light up similar areas of the brain in the way we process it or it might use similar skills that we develop that doesn't necessarily translate into a classroom as if you do songs, you will improve your vocabulary by X percent. So we need to be like a little bit careful, like kind of how we like um, interpret these different research fields into yeah. a classroom context. But I think, um, you know, there's definitely really powerful anecdotal and experience um, around, you know, seeing children enjoying songs and feeling really motivated. And, you know, I anecdotally, um, you know, I've I've seen children as young as two and three who kind of absolutely adore the Italian uh, Twinkle Twinkle and they just can't stop singing it. Or, you know, I've met parents through Babel Babies who they said that they couldn't learn languages and could I please help them um, get their baby into languages. But actually, after a few weeks of singing this Portuguese song that we do all the time, um, they were like, oh, I can't get this baby I to go to sleep. And like, yeah. Yeah, and like the parent was loving it as well, and they couldn't get the baby to go down for a nap unless they sang this Mestre Andre Portuguese song. And this, um, it was a GP actually, so like a really intelligent adult had written herself off and said, No way, I couldn't ever do languages. But then she was just so pleased that she was like, Oh, the words are coming out of my mouth. I didn't ever think that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it, think it can be like quite a confidence booster. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like, maybe it's a low pressure way of doing it as well if you're doing it with children um 
I've got I've got my dog in the in the other room as well, so they could probably do a podcast yeah, together. Speak to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it it might be that it's like a low like kind of stakes way of doing it because you know the children haven't got like a huge expectation that you're going to have a perfect accent or anything like that, um, yeah. and then maybe it just gives their parents or caregivers or teachers a bit of a boost like oh yeah we're doing it together and it's fun and you know none of us know the words yet let's explore it and so I think that could be that could be like a, a positive aspect yeah um, definitely I think it probably that, helps with pronunciation as well doesn't it you know with the song it could, the, you, you know you can with the rhyme and, and the rhythm and everything else sometimes it's hard yeah, it to get be, the accent the pronunciation isn't it for languages yeah so it might be a really effective way of um, helping with pronunciation because part of pronunciation is obviously getting the intonation right and the rhythm um, so songs by making that a bit more salient or sort of um, easier to notice what the rhythm is then it might just help you to sort of get it earlier um, again this is all to be confirmed by like kind of research but um, there's yeah there's lots of kind of like theoretical reasons why it might uh, might be a powerful way of doing it um, and I think um, what one of the most research areas has been vocabulary acquisition because we know that like vocabulary underpins a lot of our, our learning in school. And actually, um, it's just it's just really at the moment there's just really inconclusive evidence coming from research that singing is more effective than something else. It, we, we, you know, we've got quite I've I found sixty one studies, uh, thirty five wow. of them were looking at vocabulary. Thirty five looked at vocabulary either. Or as one of you know the variables or the only one and actually they're kind of inconclusive we've got only four studies that sort of um two that showed there was an effect and two that showed there wasn't really an effect there's definitely not a negative effect though so no, yeah what we could say yeah so what we could say at the minute is we just we just don't know yet but it's definitely not going to do any harm especially if it's something that the class and the teacher feel that they will enjoy um yeah and yeah it could be part of a rich kind of language environment couldn't it and it could be like a really like fun and inclusive thing to do together yeah of course it could be and the yeah. also um do you think it'll have an effect trying different languages have you noticed that specific languages are better with songs or not or does it not matter well that's an interesting question so um so like at babel babies we've done songs in like 10 or 11 different languages and i definitely see that people they end up feeling quite sort of like um, positive feelings like for example we've got horse riding songs you know the ones where you have little toddlers on your knee and you bounce okay yeah and yeah so we've got one in Russian and one in Italian and I used to say oh you know shall we do the Russian one or the Italian one and they the children would have an opinion about whether they wanted the Russian one or the Italian one and like I remember my son said oh I want to do it in Russian because you get to jump in a ditch at the end and that's why he really <laughs> liked that one yeah um and yeah and then there's some people have said that their children they just really liked like the italian twinkle twinkle and they've got the puppet and they call it brilla and you know people can end, end up feeling a preference for things um but i'm not sure that there's any like kind of um particular reason why some languages would be better at songs or better learn through songs than others i think it really is just like individual differences that might dictate that um, we particularly love doing Insu Insu Spider in Arabic. And I know some of the adults felt very, very proud that they could do it. And yeah. obviously the, chil the children as well. Um, so it can be quite a confidence boost, probably because, especially in England, we might be telling ourselves, oh, we're not very good at learning languages. 
in yeah. Britain. So well, there's certain so language might be difficult um, just through, yeah, like, yeah. you know, lack of exposure. Them. Yeah, lack of exposure, yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, we, you know, it can... You know, it could maybe have a positive impact on people's attitudes. I think that could be like a, you know, just being a bit more familiar with something can actually then break it down and make it less scary. So it's yeah, not definitely. And they could go into it further yeah. and through other mm-hmm. avenues, couldn't they? After that, yeah, exactly. Because I think if you've got a bit of a curious approach and you think, oh, I was really interested in learning that Japanese frog song, um, let me go and do a bit more sort of reading about that. Yeah. Um, another thing another thing I, I really like as well is when you do the same song, say like Row the Boat in English and Norwegian and French, uh, you can start to compare the languages. So I think it gives you this bit of metalinguistic awareness as well. Like you can say, oh, look, this is the same tune and, you know, but the words slot in differently and there's more syllables here or, you know, or that's a cognate. People might notice that the Norwegian and the English sound really, really similar. And then that can start really interesting conversations about, oh, well, actually, Norwegian and English kind of like are cousins. If you go back, they've got the same ancestors. So you can start talking about language families and getting a bit of linguistics in there, which everybody, in my experience, always thinks is really interesting and they haven't really thought about it that much. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Especially the links. And I like the similarities between languages. You always compare in different words. Um, That's really good. Um, yeah. You've talked about um, adults and children learning together through that programme. Do you think songs are important at sort of any age? Do you think it has a positive impact on sort of any age of language acquisition? Yeah, I mean, I think it could it could have, uh, you know, benefits in different ways at different stages. Um, like the really early sort of stages, any kind of positive um communication where you've got like nice eye contact and parents and children interacting with each other we know that's really really important for language acquisition um of the first or any language you know it's really about that social kind of like back and forth isn't it with you you, with younger children um so it doesn't particularly matter whether you're singing a song or not it's just like having the eye contact and making sure the baby or the younger child knows that you know this is language that's happening um yeah. and that this is that conversational back and forth so that so yes yeah, so early years definitely it can create that little environment that puts all the right conditions in place for language acquisition to happen um and then as you go through kind of the age groups it might be that you know um teachers and children they enjoy that and i think like if it creates a positive environment in which learning can you know be taking place and that could be really valuable at any age couldn't it yeah of course yeah um, and like you yeah. say adults in, enjoy songs in general so you know if you can put learning alongside it then it's yeah. got to be a good thing yeah I mean I, yeah I think we're kind of um some some practitioners well, we may be feeling that music is getting a bit squeezed out um and yeah. actually that's a shame and then language and you know if we could I think there's a bit of a, a mission that people are trying to find a kind of an effect that would mean that you can advocate for more music because it contributes to literacy. And as we know, literacy is, you know, a really you know, high on the agenda part of the um, school process. So I think it's maybe like a kind of a, uh, you know, sort of bit of a false step for research to go out trying to prove that an effect is happening. Because then, of course, you're in danger of getting confirmation bias because you find the thing that you're looking for and so course, we've got to be yeah. a bit more objective yeah we've got to be a bit more objective but um you know if um 
you know, if it did turn out that there was this sort of like brilliant link, then it, you know, I think it would be, then teachers would be empowered to be able to say, oh yeah, well, I want to do like music all Friday afternoon because I know that it has these benefits for these reasons. And I think, you know, if we can get the research to actually sort of answer the questions that teachers have and how they can bring that into practice, that would be a really valuable use of research time and resources. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, And like you say, when there's not a lot of research around about a topic, it makes it even more intriguing, doesn't it? Knowing that you could be finding something out, you know, that there's not much information about. Yeah, it's really exciting. It feels a little bit like, you know, being on the edge of a sort of exploration out in the wild. (laughs) Yeah. And at the moment, you're just getting all your gear together, ready for it. Yeah, get the backpack full of all sorts of um, laptops and all the different screening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A modern exploration. Um, <laughs> have you got any other um, sort of tips or tricks for teachers um, that might be listening that want to include sort of music in their lessons? Um, I mean, obviously, there's. I've talked quite a lot about the interactive part of singing and using songs in sort of like literacy or uh, you know to learn a a subject or whatever but obviously you can just have songs on in the background as well it doesn't have to be something that you're doing explicitly so you know one other way could be just to you know get a a class playlist maybe get children to choose songs from you know that they're you know it might be that you've got a variety of different cultures represented and music as we you know look across different cultures it does have different um sort of ways of being presented and you've even got sort of different uses of pitch and tone and different uses of rhythm across different cultures as well you might find that you've got a variety of instruments and sounds and timbres that you know we don't necessarily hear that often if we're in the UK context so that I think that if I had a classroom now I would be like you know really excited to get you know a full sort of spectrum of representation of different like musical backgrounds and and I think it can be a very personal and very emotive thing to be able to present the music that you love to your peers and in your class and share that. So that could be like an interesting discussion point. You could talk about like what, you know, you could go through, um, you know, what does this song mean to you? And like, what part does it play? Maybe in traditions or in you know different aspects of religion or perhaps different sort of family stories sometimes songs get passed down don't they through families and yeah you know, we're, we're always looking yeah we're always looking for those like really valuable interactions with the children in our classes like what does this mean to you could be like a nice sort of way into some of those questions that otherwise it could be quite hard to start those conversations um and quite often you know a song can trigger or just open a door to that sort of world so that could be fun and then of course you can link uh, music to art as well so you could get you know, um, yeah, you could you could fill your classroom with visual representations of this music as well um, and take it outside and use it in play. So I think, you know, it could be a really nice thread through lots of different aspects. Yeah, I love that. I love the um, PSHE sort of and circle time sort of idea. I've never thought of doing mm. that before. Um, like you say, though, it does bring a lot of emotions, doesn't it? And there's always songs that you think, oh, that reminds me of. You know, your wedding yeah, day yeah, or exactly. when, some, when when your children are born or, you know, you have songs through yeah, your life as well, don't you, which is, which is lovely to explore, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, because it can be just a really emotive thing. Or it could be something that, you know, um, 
it's in a language that the children you know are bringing to the classroom that isn't really kind of being used in the classroom but then that song is you know like a, a beautiful example of this language that you want to kind of like you know I, I know we kind of quite often get you know, we we say we want to use children's you know multilingual experiences um, explicitly and bring them into class. But like, how do we bring those languages into class? Can be quite tricky sometimes. So it could be that um, you know, bring your favourite song in or a song that means something to you. That that could just be a nice, easy way of including it. Sharing um, those cultures and sharing exactly, yeah. Oh, it's lovely. That. That's really good. It's um, a different way of thinking about music there that I've never thought about. Um, well, thank you so much for being here today, um, Kate. We look forward to reading your research paper when it's finished in a couple of years' time. <laughs> um, I'll also share your other projects and websites on the podcast episode um, and in the blog. Are there any other projects you're working on at the moment with languages? Is that your main one, um, music? So, yeah, so music's definitely the big one. I've just um, chaired the NALDIC EAL Association 30th anniversary conference. So, yeah, so that's taken up quite a lot of the last few months. That was brilliant. Um, 30 years, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. And it was actually quite an emotional day, I think, because you can see how far the sort of EAL profession has come, um, working teachers and academics together. And I just, yeah, I got to sort of hear a lot of really... um, beautiful conversations between academics and practitioners in the classroom so I think that's the way forward I think researchers and teachers working together and getting the best for our learners is is what I'm excited about whatever form that takes yeah definitely and I think um like you say about the EAL community I think it's becoming huge now isn't it and I think a lot of people are working together now more collaboratively and it has massive impact it's not on those children that are being taught in the schools yeah, that's it. Because the theme was every teacher is a language teacher. And I think it's true. We all use language, whatever subject we're teaching. So, yeah, I love that sentence. Yeah. I found that difficult. Um, I was EAL lead in a secondary school and sometimes it's difficult to convince, you know, the maths teacher, the science teachers, the more um, sort of number subjects. Um, but like you say, every teacher is a language teacher. And when it all comes together, mm. it, it, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? The power it can have. Yeah, definitely. We had some good presentations on um on that very topic like maths and language so if anyone's not been to the conference you can access it through the naldic website and you can like watch the videos online so oh i'll share that in the um episode as well then yeah. i'll share that link because that'd be brilliant for yeah. other people to get in, yeah. you know involved in that yeah oh, well, thank you very buy, much like, thank you helen it's been lovely to chat to you oh thank you bye now take care This podcast is brought to you by Helen Bodell from Twinkle EAL. We have over 650,000 resources and you can find all of our EAL resources at www.twinkle.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and Pinterest by searching Twinkle EAL.